Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 229 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. And today's episode is the last in the series of conversations that I was lucky enough to have with this year's participants in the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. So after we've finished with this week's guest... I will be speaking to the director of the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week, just going over the episodes we've had and giving you a little reminder of where their artworks lie, because we've still got a couple of weeks left of its art trail, where all but a few of the artworks can still be found. But before I introduce you to this week's artist, let me just play you this little message. For the third consecutive year, we've partnered with the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail, where we get the opportunity to speak to several of their featured artists. And today's episode is one of those. But before I take you to meet him, let me just give you a little bit of information about the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. The Art Week is, well, it's just a little bit longer than a week. It runs from the 22nd of June until the 2nd of July. And the Art Trail runs from the 16th of June, which is the date of release of this podcast, right up until the end of August. For the full list of featured artists and a whole lot more information, go over to the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week Instagram page, which is KCAW London, and you'll find everything there that you need. Well, today's guest is Junior Tomlin. And my personal opinion is that the that Junior is exactly what the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week and Trail is all about. 
Junior lives in the borough. Junior was born in the borough. He lives in the borough. He went to school in the borough. His jobs have been within the borough. His art journey has been within the borough. And now his artwork is being showcased within the borough. It's a beautiful story that just goes to show that if you embrace creativity and sprinkle on a little bit of passion, you can end up with a lifetime of opportunities. So please come and join me as I spoke to Junior Tomlin. How are you, mate? You good? Not bad. Nice to meet you. And to you. Yeah, that's pretty cool being in that Kensington and Chelsea Art Week, isn't it? Yes, it, it really it really is. I'm quite happy. I'm quite chuffed. Oh, so you should be, mate. So you should be. Junior, I've, I've got seven questions that I ask each artist. And the first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work? I'm a design illustrator. Uh, I, I, I try images. I'm basically you know, an artist, a commercial artist. But I do other things besides that. Yeah, because I first started off doing uh, computer game packaging artwork. And then I moved on into record covers, ray flyers, digital colouring, working as a, in a special effects company, being a creature technician and uh, being a tutor, being a teacher. And oh, now nice. I can I can add to it mural artist and mosaic designer. <laughs> so and and guess what? Author. I saw that. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah. You said um that you was a rave flyer designer. Yes. Back in the day, about 1982. Wow, man. No, no, no. Nine, no, 1992. That's when I done my first rave flyer. That's when the rave flyers were everywhere, weren't they? Yeah. And they were big. You know, there was like, you know, A3, A then A2, and then monster size. And then it just got smaller and smaller. And nobody, <laughs> and nobody done artwork. It's all, because in those days, they used to basically pinch them from books. They used to basically do like copyright, a bit of copyright infringement using other people's images. Yeah. But I did mine fresh. Oh, wow. Yeah, fresh out of the noggin. <laughs> <laughs> what venues did you used to put them in? Can you remember? Uh, they used to go to places like uh, Laserdrome, uh, was it Bagley's? Oh, yeah, nice. That Astoria. Yeah, I used to run the door at Astoria. You never know, you might have done one of my events that I did for uh, Slamming Vinyl. Oh, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, I've done a few for that Slamming Slam Vinyl. Yeah, and One Nation. Oh, I remember One Nation. Yeah, I did a quite a lot of flights for One Nation. So that, that's quite fun. And you've done album covers? Album covers, my first album cover, record cover that I'd done in 1989. Wow, bloody hell. Yeah, and that was uh, the classic Phantom by Renegade Soundwave. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. It's iconic, is that one. So music was very much in your life. And where was it you grew up? I grew up in good old Labbert Grove. Well, then the music's going to be in your blood from around there, isn't it? Yeah, you know, grew, grew up uh, listening to like reggae in the good old early days when there used to be like, you know, a reggae program. Was it every weekend we used to listen to, I think it was Greg Edwards or Alex Pascal. Greg on Edwards, played, man. Yeah, nice. reggae. The only show that played reggae in those days. Brilliant. Yeah, it was a good borough to be a part of, right? Yeah, it is. And it's steeped in history as well, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, born and bred in this borough. Was there creativity in home when you were growing up? Not so much. My dad was, uh, I heard later on that my dad was creative. He went to art school. Oh, yeah. So where did your creative journey start then? Well, my creative journey started uh, when I went to do my foundation course in Notting Hill Gate called at a place called Bramshaw School of Art. To, to where? Bramshaw? Yeah, Bramshaw. Okay. Yeah. I went to Bramshaw School of Art to do a one-year foundation because I was too late to apply to other places. That I, I, I applied to St. Martin's and Campbell, but they didn't take me. And uh, also at London College of Printing, they didn't have me. So somebody said, there is this place where you might get in. This is the last chance shop. So I, I applied and I got in. Yeah, but I'm sure it's pretty cool, right? It was. It was great in that day. Yeah, I applied to go there for for my BA, but went elsewhere instead. And how did you find that foundation? It's a little bit mind-blowing when you actually think back to it, because <laughs> there you have 18-year-old kid who's just basically uh, fresh from school, mixing with, like, people, you know, as I call it, weird and wonderful people. <laughs> because at that time, it was just basically geared up for basically oil painting. Yeah. And where did you go from there? From there, I went to Goldsmiths College to do three years of graphic design. Got you. And yeah, because I wanted to be a gra graphic designer, but it didn't quite pan out in the way I thought it would. In what, what, the degree didn't, or being a graphic designer didn't quite pan out? Being a graphic designer. Those, yeah, those ideas, because it's, it's like, I handled the briefs in more of an illustration way. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm thinking I'm a graphic designer, graphic designer. Then I couldn't get a job as a graphic designer when I left. Because you're, you're going into places here with your college portfolio, so who's going to take it seriously? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's when I said, I thought, let's change it all to illustration. And I used to attend this place called, uh, you know, One Step. And from one step, they curated, they, I was a you know, founder member of the London Cartoon Workshop. Oh, yeah, nice. And we had, like, uh, fantastic tutors coming down to basically tutor us. It was basically about to getting kids to do, like, front, uh, sequential arts. You know, we had, you know, the likes of, like, you know, Brian Bolland and uh, was it John Burns. And who's that? Other guy? Yeah, David Lloyd. The guy who drew three, four vendetta. Oh well, nice. So I think it was him who gave me my first break, saying, "Yeah, why don't you, you know, get into doing uh, computer game covers?" So that's how I researched computer game video covers, and I got my first gig, and it was called Sunstar many years ago, and more followed. And how long was you in that um, area for? That was about what four or five years, and until so everything started to become like you know. One computerized, and two, they were using like uh, screenshots to sell the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they no longer needed the you know, the, you know the, the artist, so I basically had to like move on, you know, pack my bags and move on to other things. What came to you after you was doing the, the gaming? It was the record covers. How I got into it is quite in interesting because I was actually working at uh, the London Cartoon Centre at the time as a tutor in airbrushing. One and, day, and, and sorry, would that be airbrushing on the computer or by hand? By hand. Got you. Good. I was hoping you was going to say that. Yeah. 
So I was I was there, you know, working as an airbrush tutor. Had a couple of lessons, so then one day, I was approached by a guy called I think it was Peter Kent, and he was looking for an airbrush artist for his band, and his band happened to be Renegade Soundwave. <laughs> nice. And the great thing about that is that he, his the offices was in Harrow Road, just after you go over from. Uh, Kensal Road over the halfpenny steps and there's the offices there that's now it's it's now a chemist so that's how I got into it yeah so I've done my first uh, rock cover it was called the, the Phantom it's it's like an iconic cover everybody remembers it from like 1989 yeah and you know more followed and then I also worked with uh, other companies in the area like uh, Kicking Records and Vinyl Solution so to this point, your creative career focused wholly sort of in the borough. So it, it grew and and yeah. sort of blossomed in the borough itself. Brilliant. Yeah. And then I would, and then I go to and I, you know you go to fairs and you 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 know meet people. Yeah. And the people will phone you up because of the previous work that you've done, and then I get like more you know record cover commissions to do. So that was my first record cover for. for Renegade Soundwave called The Phantom. So consequently, I've done two other record covers for them. But you do form like, you know, friendships with some of the people in the band, the two of which that I still keep in contact with. Oh, nice. Which piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection to you, Junior? Oh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's a strange word, you know, word, you know emotional connection. Well, what one has just meant the most to you? What one sort of stands out? To me, I think it's the first, you know, the first of doing it, anyone. It, it's like the first one I'd done to do uh, computer game covers. That, yeah. you know, resonates to me because that was the first one that's basically like broke my road, that broke the mode, that basically set me up to do others. In the record covers, it's the, it's, uh, the Renegade Sidewave one. In the rave, it's rave world, yeah. Nice. Because it's, it's the one where basically, like you know, uh, it gets you in there. Yeah. And then subsequently, yeah, uh, you can do more from it. But you always remember the first one you ever did. There would be others along the way where you know it's it's better than the one that I have more emotional input with. Yeah. Well, the first one is that one where you're being accepted in that field, isn't it? Yes. You know, you that's when you feel that you are a part of it rather than you want to be a part of it. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. The more you turn out, uh, the more people see your work, and that's that's the part of the beauty of it because it's, you're not only giving somebody a piece of artwork; it's basically like a little advertisement of what what you do. Yeah, and it's going to be bought or given to like say say like quarter or half a million people, and you're thinking, yeah. When I was growing up, the only artwork in my life was record covers and I think and I'm now I'm going to sound like an old man here but um that the the lads of today have really missed out on something beautiful that is yeah. an album or a single because I've mentioned this on here a few times like my boy will, will listen on Spotify listen to the first five or ten seconds of a song and swipe through and I'd be like, oh, man, when we heard a new album was coming out, you'd go into the record shop, you'd sift through, you'd listen to the records in there, be part of the atmosphere. 
on the way home, you'd, you know, you'd sort of memorise the whole playlist on the back of the album before you've even got home to play it. And then yeah. for the next week, your needle is on that album all week. Yeah. And it, it was something quite special. It, is, it was quite, quite beautiful where you would buy an album only because it's got one track that you like on it. Yeah. Like how many albums have you ever bought here where you like 99 or 100 <laughs> tracks on, on it? Because you've got 10 tracks on an album. You're not going to like all 10. You will always end up liking about four or five. And when you be flicking through the albums, you might even just see an album cover that stands out. And you buy the album just for the album cover, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then I find out later about the, the musician that's on there. I did the same thing, yeah, when I got my, my interest perked up when it comes to, like, science fiction art. I won a competition when I was at school. I was given, like, I think it was, like, £10 W. H. Smith's voucher. <laughs> so I went, I went out there and, you know, I bought, like, you know, the, what kids really like, you know, a, uh, a compass set and yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, ruler, rubber, pencil. Yeah. Then I had some money left over. So what did I do? I was looking in the book section and I found this book here. It was called The Early Asimov because I, I like the cover of the book. And guess what? I bought it. And guess what? It will be another four years before I read the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and was it any good? It was good. Was yeah. it as good as the cover? It was, as, it was as good as the cover. That's yeah. what my interest in wanting to become a uh, science fiction illustrator. There you science go. Science fiction book illustrator. So my work is all, it, t it tends to be like sci-fi, fantasy, Afrofuturism with a slice with slices of like surrealism thrown in. Brilliant. And could you imagine you'd be four years further down the line if you read that book straight away, wouldn't you? That is true. <laughs> But there you it, go. it's quite interesting because everything has got its own time. Of course. Yeah. Of course. It probably needed me to basically like uh, wait there and have nothing to do until I was ready to read that book. Super. And then when I read that book, I was basically like, uh, you know, in, you know ne nearly there. When I was in secondary school now, there was a trip to uh, Margate. I found this bookshop and I found more of the same artwork. Oh, by yeah. the same artist, so I ended up buying like you know, several more books, science Brilliant. fiction books, because I like that particular style, you know, the space, the, the you know, the fantasy, you know, the, and that was in the time there when you know Star Wars came out. That changed cinema. That changed yeah, um, science fiction, didn't it? Changed changed everything. God bless you, George Lucas. Um, yeah, then you moved into that area, yes. being a colourist. How did that come about? Because that's a hard thing to get into, I would have thought. Yeah, I got into that by somebody that I used to go to the London Cartoon Centre with. Yeah, my friend, you know, Martin, because he was working for Marvel Panini at the time. There was, like, based up in Kent. I think yeah. it was Tunbridge Wells. And uh, he heard on the grapevine that they was looking for a colourist to, to do Action Man. Because they wanted to basically change the style of colouring on Action Man. Because before it used to basically be like flat colour, you know, yeah. cuts, gradation. And they wanted it to be more moulded, yeah, a bit, bit more, more like full. 3D, a yeah. bit more full, a bit more, you know, smoother, where you can actually, he's actually got dimension. I sent him one or two samples and then I got the gig. And it was, it was a great gig too. Nice. And how, was yeah. you on, how long was you on that for? I was on that for about two years. Nice. 
And the beauty of that is, yeah, is that I used to get uh, 10 pages a month to do with Action Man. And it, it, it was just a good, it was a good gig and it was great pay. Good. It was great pay. Yeah, you'd like yeah. those um, every month, wouldn't you? Yes. And then from there, I got into doing Transformers Armada. Wow. Spectacular Spider-Man and the whole lot of like pocketbook covers. It's all quite fun because something like ringing them up, say, oh, I've got any colouring, I've got the colouring. I said, yeah. <laughs> and then I got into working for you know, Kensington Chelsea College. What, yeah. When was that? Uh, that was in the late 90s. Got and what was you doing there? I was a tutor, you know, uh, teaching people how to use like Adobe Illustrator. Nice. Yeah, and the spin-off was of that year is that when they came up with summer courses, I was to do like a five-week summer course here at Hortensia College, teaching Adobe Illustrator. You need a Wacom tablet, otherwise uh, drawing with a mouse is akin to drawing with a brick. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I've tried it myself so many times. Yeah. If you like blunt artwork, use a brick. <laughs> <laughs> and how long was you at uh, Kensington Chelsea College for? I think I was there for two, three years. My redundancy was the same amount of money for the tax that I had to pay, so that cancelled the cover out. That's funny. Well, when you when you look look back at it, it's it's amusing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, as I mentioned earlier, your career seems to have just been all around Kensington and Chelsea. Now it's gone into a little bit of a new a new field, hasn't it? Yeah, it's gone to you know, more or less community-driven now, Brilliant. which is, uh, I find it quite exhilarating, you know, giving back to the community, the community that basically, like, you know, uh, raised me, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. You've created a mural that is part of the Kensington Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. Tell us a bit about it, Junior. Well, how that happened, it's come about, yeah, is that uh, I was contacted by, you know, Vestalia, yeah, they was having that consultation. They asked me to come and sit in on like two consultations, where they had like members of like the community who lived in Gorbin Ward, yeah, to, to come in and talk about the one their experience and their views about what they would like to see on the wall. I went there, you know, equipped with piece of paper and yeah. a pen. Yeah, so I drew out these like long pillar box grids. So when they were like talking about the, what they would like to see, everyone was talking, I'm just scribbling it down. <laughs> scribbling yeah. it down. And then like you know, eight ideas later, yeah, you know, you, you know, you're part of that. I was put forward to actually as one of the people to like uh, create the mural. So it went to like you know a voting process. It was like me and you know two other two other artists. And the lovely thing is that uh, I thought I wasn't gonna win, but uh, guess what? They voted for me. <laughs> Thank you. you. But then I wondered and the rest is history. Yeah, and it's nice that it's people from your community that have put you forward to create something in that community, right? Yeah. And what is the mural? The mural, it's basically for, for the children. It's called Children Are Our Rising Stars. Brilliant. So and there's a lot of there's a lot of stars on in the mural which are basically, the, to me, the, the, the depiction of children, the other yeah. stars. Give us some dimensions, just for people listening, so they can get a, 
an idea. What's the what's the width and height of the mural, roughly? About eight foot by sixty foot. Oh, there you go, <laughs> straight off the top of your head. And what what is it visually? It's got a whole lot of interconnected themes. Yeah, one is the stars that represent the children. Yeah. Two is like the wavy wavy lines, like uh, you know, it can also you know represent the, the children's journey, yeah. as well as there's musical notes there because that entire area, every year, is home to Panorama, the Battle of the Steel Pans. Nice. Yeah, so there's two representations, right, or three, of like uh, steel pan design. Both ends, there's two round symbols here with like uh, the steel pan design. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see. Yeah. Because the wall itself has got several um, large circular holes cut into it, hasn't it? Yeah, so I basically tried to use those round windows but the, 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 the complication of my design means that I couldn't do concentric circles around it. No, of course. But it, it, it's been simplified a bit, but, you know, you know, I love it. It looks stunning, doesn't it? And, and even on the floor as well, were those stars already on the floor of the No, that, that's, that's the beauty of it, yeah. It, it's, uh, I didn't know the design of the park before I done the mural. <laughs> so when we got there, to paint, I think, wow, they put, there's already stars there, so it reflects perfectly. Yeah. Uh, what's happening? So the wall, for, for anyone who doesn't know the park itself, the wall is an, at the edge of a play park. A lot of the play parks have a very soft surface. The floor looks to be very dark, possibly navy blue or black, yes. um, with these big yellow stars that are possibly eight feet in diameter. Yes, they're big, they're big stars. And then on your design, the stars, yeah, there's stars all about. So it looks like you've designed the entire park. <laughs> <laughs> and is mural painting something you'd like to go forward with i am really intrigued by it yeah because i've seen murals of people done on street art like around the world and it looks amazing you mentioned about you doing airbrush work do you think you could upscale a one of your old covers and put that on a wall do you think uh, that would be amazing if someone you know asked me to do that yeah i just have to think and plan it <laughs> For anyone that will be going to see the artwork on the Kensington and Chelsea Art Trail, just tell us again where to find your artwork and its title. You find it at Helsme Horniman's Pleasance on the Kensal Road, opposite Canalot Studios. Yeah, I know. And it's the play area when you see the lovely colour <laughs> and the lovely wave of line, and then you found it. <laughs> follow the follow stars. The... <laughs> that's, that's a good line, isn't it? Yeah, follow the stars. And... Junior, where can anyone find what you're doing, be it website or social media? Instagram, you type in Junior Tomlin, it comes straight up. Uh, Facebook, same thing, you know, Junior Tomlin. You can uh, you can also go to juniortomlin.com. That's my that's my website. Yeah. And as I said before, I've also got a book out there. You, you've become an author. Tell yeah. us about that. That was one of the great ones because uh, in 2020, I was. Uh, emailed by Colin Stephen, the guy who runs Velocity Press. They do like uh, you know, electronic music books. And he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. You know, he asked me, isn't it about time that you had a book of your workout? <laughs> and I said, yeah. So that's how it was done. What is the title of the book you've got? Uh, Junior Tomlin, Tomlin Flyer and Cover Art. And what can people expect to see inside it? 30 years of my artwork, flyers and record covers. 
there's obviously the 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 words inside is your your sort of biography if you like yeah it's got a interview that i did with uh, chelsea berlin yeah she wrote she wrote the foreword it was quite good because i asked for her you know personally and she felt honored that i asked her so i'm quite happy because that was uh 2020 it was going to have a launch, but of course, COVID mashed up the plans. Oh, oh man, that's got in the way of twice, everything, didn't it? But three, yeah, but three times. But it's it, it's been it's been a good journey because I've, from from the back of that, I've had like you know more work, more people have actually you know rediscovered that I'm I'm still around, you know, knocking out work. Brilliant. And where can anyone get that book, Junior? Go to velocitypress.com. Right, brilliant, Junior. That's uh, that's all my questions asked, mate. Thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's been a blast. <laughs> and I, I, I absolutely love the fact that you was born in the borough and pretty much your entire creative journey has been within that borough, a, a true representation of um, Kensington and Chelsea. Good on you, mate. Yeah, thank you. Well, just as a little recap, I've been joined by Vistalia Chilton, director of the Kensington Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. Hi, Vistalia. Hiya. Um, as this is the last episode that, that's just been aired, I thought we'd have a little recap on the episodes that we've featured this year. We've done 10 episodes, great conversations, brilliant artwork. The first episode I've done was episode 220, which was with Burundi and Bakani. Um, is their artwork still on show? Yes, indeed. A Black Women at Rest uh, is a mural that's located in Freston Road. In fact, we've just installed another mural there, uh, nice. which was done in collaboration with students from Morley College. Um, this was their first public artwork, so it is something to enjoy but also please understand that this was their first attempt um so you can <laughs> see you can see how hard it is really to get yeah. to a level where Birunji and Bukani are um but yes the the we rest um black women at rest mural is on Preston Road opposite Bramley Studio um and it was done in collaboration with the mayor of London who um who commissioned it as part of the Commission for Diversity of London, celebrating all the different voices from different backgrounds um, that live and enjoy and work in, in London. And this mural was created to celebrate um, and then maybe encourage uh, women to rest. Um, and it's very important to both artists that they um, promote health and well-being within their own work um, and don't burn out. One other very important point, this mural was curated by Black Blossoms School of Art. And this is our third collaboration with the Black Blossoms organisation, which supports education within the arts for Black women and, and Brilliant. men. Brilliant. Then we spoke to um, Mal Gazata. That was, that was a fun episode because I think she was in, was it Bucharest when I spoke to her? <laughs> she was in Prague, I believe. Prague, Prague, that's right. Yeah. But um, yeah, a good a good conversation. I didn't know Mel Gazata, but um, yeah, it was a a great chat we had. Where's her artwork on show? Well, I love that episode because it also gave me an insight to some of the background of Mel Gazata. Um, her work um was installed in Cromwell Place, 
um, a wonderful institution right in the center of South Kensington. This building is a very beautiful, restored building. It houses some of the top level galleries and international museums for temporary shows. So we were very lucky to be in that space, surrounded by this glamour of high art. Um, And Malgajata's piece was installed in the courtyard, climbing the walls of the building, and it looked absolutely phenomenal. It looked amazing. it really did. It was just it was just very organic and very beautifully executed. Um, and we were very pleased with the result. The installation is now finished. So it was installed from 22nd of June to the uh, 2nd of July during Art Week. Brilliant. Sarah Jameson, that was episode 221. Um, I, I hadn't seen Sarah's work before. But again, another another great conversation I had. I learned a lot from from that conversation, and it, it sounds like Sarah's got quite a, a lot coming in front of her. That interview was brilliant. You know, I do listen to every single one of them, <laughs> and I love them so much. Um, this was an insightful um, conversation, specifically on the background of Sarah and her background from Pakistan, and that she lit, in a way led a double life and escaped from. Yeah a certain yeah. cultural background into a new world through art, which is something really liberating. Um, and she is enjoying her new um, new life in, in, as an artist, I suppose, but she hasn't um, given up on her background. It's quite interesting to see how much she, respect she has for it, but from another perspective, and it was a very moving interview, actually. It's very personal. Um, her work is on at the Exhibitionist Hotel, um, it is sort of an unusual calligraphy project that she created based on her own um, version of the Quran and the Arabic um, uh, text and how it's written as symbols. Um, so she's created her own language through that and she calls it Sarabesque. Um, and that exhibition is um, on for the rest of the summer and she will be doing a lot of events because she's she's so multifaceted. She. Yeah paints she she draws and she also loves digital work so she is leading on our digital programming for art week and art trail um so her uh, her exhibition is constantly being innovated and infused with digital art nfts um and she is planning some uh, really interesting food related events where you have experiences of um ai and digital technology and arts all coming together it sounds absolutely amazing it was. It was a real good conversation. And I don't really know much about a few of the areas she works, but the conversation that we had really did uh, really did highlight those. Yes. We had we had Peter Morris, the architect, episode 218. And I was I was able to go and see that work. That was in a beautiful setting, wasn't it? The Cloud Wendy House. Yes. Cloud House, Wendy House. Cloud House, Wendy House, um, I apologise. Oh, it's it's absolutely fine. I think sometimes people just call it Cloud House and it's important that it has the Wendy House element to it because it is uh, a, a sort of a relationship to Peter Pan and um, sort of childhood. And, and this is sort of a version of a, of a larger house he's building. He's actually building a real house um, for himself and his family, which is based on this, uh, I suppose, maquette, which is life size, and you could see it still in Holland Park, in the Ponying Garden until the end of summer again. So the there is still a chance to go and have a look at it and enjoy its very surreal pink colour in the midst of the f- beautiful green 
uh, flora surrounding it, it really does feel like it's out of this world and yeah. dreamland somewhere. The episode that I had with Satur Chong, which was bonus episode 34, um, I didn't know Satur's work, but what a conversation that was. She was she has a real calming quality about her, doesn't she? Yes, yes, she does. Yes, um, she is um, uh, one of the artists who is probably at the, the beginning of her artistic career. Yeah. And this is what we love about the art trail. There is a mixed bag of established artists and artists that are coming into the realm of, you know, finding themselves. And it gives me great privilege to be able to give a step, stepping stone to artists who might not might need a little bit of hand-holding, which we do, and we produce a lot of the art trail from scratch. A lot of people don't realise that we actually produce the sculptures especially and curate them and work with artists. And in this instance, we really helped um, uh, Satur to understand what kind of piece of art she was going to create. Initially, it was a static concept, but then very clearly she is a performance artist. She probably hasn't realised this fully yet, but a lot (laughs) of her work is performance-based. Um, and she did a wonderful uh, tea ceremony in the South Kensington area, right in front of thousands of people, drinking tea out of a teapot that was modelled by her out of cast iron and mounted on a manhole. So it's called the Manhole Tea Ceremony. Um, and it has a dark undertone because she talks about this the drainage and sewage systems that are dark and menacing. Yeah. And they, it all lives underneath the city but um, we sort of pretend it doesn't exist. So it's really going into the background of what reality is. And it's not always very beautiful and polished. It is also full of stench and darkness. And you cannot exist without one or the other. Well, I don't know if I left it in the episode. I can't remember now, but I am recommended to her that, that she goes forward with that tea set and try to produce it as a, um, a saleable item not yeah. necessarily um, a, a, a limited edition or an art piece if you like but just a, a consumer piece I thought it was an absolutely beautiful teapot and cups mm, I, they are I, you did include it in the, in I did, the talk did. yes and um, I think I think that's a great idea I know she laughed probably very humbly thinking that thank you so much and I really encourage her to do it and I think she might do it as well I would love to have it it's such a, such a beautiful object well, I was I was out in London with uh, with my wife, and we was in the area of Kensington and Chelsea, and we popped over to see Lucy Oates. She'd only just started undercoating that massive expanse of tarmac that she had to work on. Yes, that was a project and a half. Um, it's um, it's actually probably the most interesting project um, that came out of Art Trail this year, in terms of how much how much good it did to people who took part yeah um lucy is an incredible artist and just to summarize what she did is um she painted a very large floor mural with the help of the local community which is an abstract piece based on her collages um that was uh, accepted by the the landowners um Earl's Court development company um and now as you come out of the station you could see this incredible it's probably eight 800 square meters of color which is done in such an extraordinary quality to to such an extraordinary quality but the reason why it was so powerful if of course from visual perspective it's very very exciting to see it just the sheer size of it 
but the 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 most important element is the the collaboration with the local community um we had some very powerful messages from some of the members of the community who took part in all different ages children and elderly and so forth and one particular person um commented that that she was in a particularly difficult moment in her life and when this came, opportunity came to literally paint the floor <laughs> <laughs> she really got involved and it brought, brought a lot of positivity into her life. In fact, Excellent. we're taking it to the next level and there'll be a performance um, on that place, a recorded performance next week. We'll be, we'll be doing some more filming. But um, the the level of um, engagement that this project created for and so much positivity and yeah. collaboration, uh, it really was a, a very satisfying um, art project to deliver. And... Episode 223, Josephine Chimay. That is a beautiful piece of work, just along from Harrods itself at Knightsbridge Station, the new entrance and exit. And what I did like was when I was looking for Hooper's Court itself, I was walking down the, the main road there and there was a, a small alleyway. And when you look down, it opens up into um, Hooper's Court and you can see her sculpture standing proud at the bottom there. Yes, it's beautiful. Her installation is based on mind, body and soul. And it's a giant um, hair comb, um, a traditional African hair comb. It's such a beautiful and larger than life installation. And it just really works in that space because it is a, like you say, it's next door to Harris, a very, very busy junction. Um, you can barely walk in the street in the pavement because there's a crowd of people. It's very Oxford Circus sort of type feel, dusty, busy, everyone's beeping their horns. And you go into this tiny little well of calm and relaxation and you have seating there as well. So you yeah. can sit down, reflect, breathe in the fresh air because you've got the a live wall right next to you full of real plants. And just look at the sculpture and just feel the tranquility that it brings on. And um, there is a sense of humor, tongue in cheek comments, of course, of the body and soul and the, the sort of the twisted fabric on top of the comb is representing her body. And she said her crooked feet. You can see some fingers and toenails and so <laughs> forth. But she's hidden it really well. You wouldn't yeah. necessarily assume, but it does have this sort of idea. It's a comment on how we view our own bodies and um how we sort of look after ourselves and what tools we we use to to bring ourselves into the world and you know maybe cover up or not cover up and yeah. be honest with ourselves. Well, what I liked about that episode was is where it was recorded on site. You had all of the noise of London passing by as we was as mm -hmm. we was chatting. You had the dust cart even emptying <laughs> the rubbish bins behind us we, we did have to stop for a few moments because it did get a little too loud but yeah that was a that was a, a great recording yeah. episode 225 which was Misha Molovanovic mm. um, I'd not spoke to Misha before I'd seen her work around for for a long time but um oh speaking to her it's just a relaxing experience just chatting to me to Misha isn't it Mm, she's she's phenomenal I really love her work I love her ethos she's um, absolutely one of those artists who's obsessed with, with quality and shape and everything she does has a much more um, sort of so many levels to uh, the process than meets the eye I think she makes everything look really easy and simple but you know with simplicity there's always a lot of hard graft and her installation is a, a beautiful 
a pink in, uh, sculpture made of steel, which is standing next to um, High Street Kensington, next where currently at Ai Weiwei is installed, so just down the road from there. And it is a, a celebration of the female form, um, but also an element of paganism and fire. This is a movement. It's very interesting how the sculpture looks like it's moving as if it is a fire like the blades of fire changing shape and manipulating itself the, the yeah. chemical way through the air and it does look like that but it's a very gentle installation it just calms you down like you say and despite its movement it, it looks very calming and, and very reassuring so it's it's very it's a very beautiful work and it's still um, it looks amazing in situ doesn't it yes it does it just looks out of out of this world again it's uh, everything normal around it the cars and the buses and suddenly you have this incredible sculpture which yeah. is uh, a unique unique piece yes and episode 227 which was lee baker from baker and borovsky um speaking about the three bench installations that that they've installed in and around the king's road um i saw a couple of those and and had a, a picture taken of myself sitting on, on the one outside the Saatchi Gallery. Baker and Borowski, graphic rewilding, never fails to hit the spot, does it? Oh, it's brilliant. It was really nice to see the installations. I think the first time I, I, I saw something like that, because this is the first time they've made those benches, um, we collaborated with mtech our logistics to build them but the um the installation that they had that looked very similar was for another project that they did and i remember seeing them literally in the cloud of flowers and i thought oh that would be so nice to create that um and then suddenly lee and, and catherine suggest that they should build flower clouds and i thought this is it this is it we have to do this this is going to be phenomenal and um yeah we 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 uh, work to create themes that would reflect Chelsea's heritage. Um, the one in Kings Road reflects the psychedelia of the 60s, the Chelsea Physic Garden, there, the botanical and health-related health uh, flora that grows there, so medicinal flowers. Um, the one that's in Duke of York's, the one you say in Saatchi, near Saatchi Gallery, uh, is based on Mary Quant, who whose famous daisy was the uh, her um, her logo. So that has all the daisies and the colours from um, Mary Quant's designs and very light pinks and blacks and whites. And so, you know, Lee is, is extraordinary because he paints all of that by hand and then creates the graphic rewilding. That gives it that extra level of oh, craft and, yeah. and, and dedication. And the last one is based on um, the royal palette. We tried to reflect the coronation and celebrate that, but also Sloan Street is undergoing a massive redesign and relaying of the street where they are rewilding the street and making it far more greener um, and much more accessible by pedestrians um, on, and on foot. So making it really designed for the 21st century moving away from car use as much as possible so that's also a reflection on on of um the type of flowers that we'll be using and um they are looking at sustainable gardens instead of the ones that need a lot of water so yeah. the designs um for the rewilding of sloan street are really about very very sustainable uh, plants that they're planting that don't require constant watering that can survive in unusual circumstances of a city which might undergo a bit of drought or very extreme temperatures so yeah so that's where that design came from um it was inspired by the 
rewilding of Snow Street and the coronation. Brilliant. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to what they've got coming up next. And the last episode, which was possibly one of my favourites to record, which was um, the one that's just finished, bonus episode number 35, Junior Tomlin. He is such an eager, interesting, brilliant designer. And I, I love the fact that he was born in the borough, went to school in the borough, went to college in the borough, has worked all his life in the borough, and now he's showing his art in the borough. Everything <laughs> about him is Kensington and Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Junior is a is a legend. I don't know if he told you, but he is the Salvador Dali of rave. He's brilliant. Yes, he's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, he he was in the most amazing best show I think um, since uh, since I remember at Saatchi Gallery, which was Beyond the Streets, which is a um, a call out to all the graffiti writers and um, street artists out there, and the sort of the rave scene, and of course Junior's uh, rave posters were included in that um, show. So we all went to the opening, which was. Very crazy opening, as you would imagine. There was a lot of um, a lot of people who would look like they would go to the raves and they haven't stopped. Um, so, you know, Still was, raving I felt very years. comfortable. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, so Junior's Junior's legend uh, legendary status goes beyond um, his living and just in living and working in in Kensington because he has produced some of the most famous posters for raving uh, raves and also gaming. So he's got a huge following, um, and he has a book which I've bought as well that's come out recently, uh, Junior Tomlin, which is well worth buying, and uh, it gives you a bit more of an insight who he is really and his work we created with collaboration uh with Royal College of Art students again about professional development uh, teaching them how to work outside under the leadership of Junior it's a consultation that we um I led I said we I, I led this consultation with um North Ken community to find out uh what they wanted to have on their children's playground mural um, and they suggested three artists and we collaborated with all three artists to create designs that were then put to public vote. And then the public, local public, the Goldborn Ward selected Junior. Um, it was a very tight, I have to admit, you know, the designs by the other two artists were fantastic. It was a very tight score, uh, but Junior was the favourite one. So <laughs> we produced a mural, which is a very large mural, um, on the Emsley Horniman uh, wall, children's playground wall. Um, and Junior being Junior, the kind and generous person, the soul that he has is a, is a wonderful human being. He wanted to collaborate with the local school. So we brought in the children from the Arc Brunel Academy, primary Brilliant. academy, who then also held a, an art day that inspired his final design. Um, and of course, they were able to put their handprints on the finished mural. Excellent. Uh, sort of to tie it all up together, because the, the the title of the mural is Children Are Our Rising Stars. So these, the stars in the mural represent all the stars who are our children, and then they put the handprints on top of it as well. So you can really see that they really have some ownership of their own playground and they designed by Junior. It was a really, really fun project to to work on. And of course, it's now permanently installed, so you can see it anytime. Brilliant. And Kensington and Chelsea Art Trail is still on as we speak. And when does it finish for Stalia? We finish at the end of August. As we speak, there's still two weeks left to go and see the artworks that we've mentioned. 
Okay, Vestalia, thank you very much for your time and allowing me to run through each episode that we've recorded this year. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing it. It's it's a real pleasure to listen to each artist having a conversation with you and the response is always from them is always uh, that it was initially they were very nervous but then you make them feel very calm and reassured oh excellent they always have a very enjoyable chat with you and that's so it's it's universal every time anyone you know has an interview with you that's what they tell the only person i've found so far that doesn't enjoy a conversation with me is my wife Brilliant. I'll let you get back on with your day and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Vestalia Chilton, the director of Kensington and Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. You've just been listening to one of our featured artists. Make sure to keep these dates for the Art Trail starts on the 15th of June and lasts all summer. And Art Week starts on the 22nd of June and ends on the 2nd of July. All of this information is on our website, kcaw.co.uk. We look forward to welcoming you. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means obviously we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.